And now our cat is outside the door howling at us. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. We're going to pause and see what the heck's going on. Yeah. This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I am your other host, Kim. Welcome to episode six, where we review the Hitchcock classic, Vertigo. Make sure you look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century, that's 20TH. We post our next movie selections there. You can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. So this is the part of the podcast where we talk about what we've done this week, right? That's right. It is the end of the first official week of February 2021. Somebody just had a birthday this past week. I did celebrate a birthday this week. Yeah. Happy 20th to Kim. (laughs) Right. Yes. Thank you. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) That would be weird, though. We've been married, what? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. (laughs) Well, we're approaching 19. So yeah, close to 20 years. But happy birthday on the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we also have been busy this week working on a brand new chicken coop. Yes, such is our life. We built one three or four years ago. And uh, what we did there is we took an old swing set, right. outdoor wood A-frame swing set, and converted it into a chicken coop. And it looked really nifty and it was really cool. Yeah, it had a, kind of a, a junky chic look to it. Yeah. <laughs> We did pallet board exterior, so it definitely looked cool. It was uh, Pinterest-worthy, I thought. Yeah, sure. But, you know, if you have a pyramid out in your yard, the uh, coverage isn't so great. The no, rain was the roof much, coverage, right, the, yeah. right. The Florida sun and rain is not nice to wood. No. No. So we're doing a new one this time. It's going to be a rectangle. <laughs> <laughs> With a real roof. Real roof, well covered, should last a lot longer. Yeah, Hopefully. Um, but yeah, the, and it's hard to squeeze in time during the week with a day job and a podcast and just all the other duties that we have as a couple with three kids. Yes. So we've been uh, using up our Saturdays doing a construction project. And for the most part, our oldest, I've let him take lead on the construction. He's 15 now. So this has been a good father-son activity. Awesome. And, and of course, our daughter's been helping too. So it's just been good times. And uh we also started watching something new this week that I think most of you probably are ahead of us on. Probably, and, yeah. Uh, on Disney Plus, we've been watching WandaVision. Yeah, we've seen what the first two episodes, I think. Yep, yep. We won't give any spoilers, but so far so good, right? Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm excited to watch more of them. Yeah, I noticed uh, episode two definitely had a strong homage to Bewitched. For sure, yeah. Uh, and it's just funny because we just recently watched the first Bewitched like two weeks ago. Yeah, coincidentally. There's, there are scenes that mirror that first episode almost exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I like it, but I'm very suspicious. My dukes are up. I know there's something dark and sinister happening behind the scenes. Yeah, there's definitely something weird going on, right? Yeah. A beekeeper came out of the Nowhere. sewer or something. Yeah. A manhole in the street. Yeah. That can't be good. <laughs> That guy's boss, uh, Vision's boss, basically went on 
was choking to death. In oh yeah, scene, really the awkward like, pause there. Yeah, the wife was like chastising him. Get up, <laughs> get up. <laughs> yeah, she, I think she kept saying, "Stop it!" Didn't oh, she? stop it! Stop That's it! What it was. Stop yeah. it! Oh. Yeah. Oh, I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. So there's definitely something uh, evil going on. Uh, with this facade of something that's good and innocent. I'm doing that in air right. quotes, but right. you know, but yeah, I'm intrigued. I can't wait to watch the, the next two or three episodes. How many episodes are there? I don't know how many they're going to have. I think they're up to five now though. Okay. So they're like still in production mm-hmm. or still being released. Yep, okay. Yep. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if this was like a Mandalorian situation or mm-hmm. if all of them are already out there. Right. Okay, cool. And we did watch our third episode of your show. What's it called? Miss Scarlet, oh, Miss Scarlet and, the and the Duke. I yeah. had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still liking it as just a period piece. I love the Victorian era. Um, I feel like some of the themes are kind of being beaten to death a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's well produced. Yeah. The look of it's great. Right. The characters are pretty cool. I like them. I think it, you're right, though. I mean, you know, I think it's just hard to find clever television writing. Yes. You know? Well, uh, yeah. I, especially coming out of 2020 where every little thing is politicized. Yeah. yeah. You know, it creeps into all the things. It creeps in, yeah. I mean, I just sometimes, I just want to sit back and just watch TV. Right. Entertainment for entertainment's sake. Have some entertainment. You know, I'm bombarded by political messages all day. Right. Every day. So... I don't know. Maybe you guys out there feel a little differently for uh, Jeff, the Jeffs and the Kims of the world. We kind of like to detach or detox yeah, a little sure. bit. You know. Entertainment should be entertainment. Yeah. I, I like to think, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I like something that's going to make me think and stretch me. But mm-hmm. if it's really just like a fun watch, I want it to be a fun watch. Right, right. Or if you're trying to challenge me with the same things that everybody else is already challenging. Right, exactly. I'm being bludgeoned to death with all the time. (laughs) With all the messages out there. Enough, I heard it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, I would be interested to hear if we have any listeners out there that are also PBS fans, or am I the sole, like, I'm the the gatekeeper of people who are married to sci-fi nerds and also watch pbs masterpiece yeah you might be i don't know i uh, i don't know if instagram is any kind of indicator i think we have uh, a lot of horror fans a lot of star trek fans a lot of cosplayers and artists and fellow podcasters out there awesome uh, i thought it would be fun starting this friday to do like a feature friday and do uh, a feature of a different artist or oh cool you know maybe a musician or visual artist or podcaster or cosplayer or somebody let's do it and go ahead. You and are the master them. of all things social media. So I'm not very good, but I <laughs> <laughs> well, of the two of us, you're the best. I'm the only one and doing the it, only. So. <laughs> so go forth. All right. So yeah, look for that this Friday. We'll start a new uh, feature Friday. Feature segment. Friday. I like it. Nothing like a little alliteration. Vertigo was released May 9th, 1958. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Before we get started, this is your reminder that we do talk about movies, therefore we do talk spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie Vertigo, this might be a great chance for you to hit pause, go find a copy of it, go find it somewhere online, give it a watch, and come back and join us later. So, 
Vertigo. This synopsis is coming to you from wikipedia.org. The film stars James Stewart as former police detective John Scotty Ferguson. Scotty is forced into early retirement because an incident in the line of duty has caused him to develop acrophobia, an extreme fear of heights, and vertigo, a false sense of rotational movement. Scotty is hired by an acquaintance, Gavin Elster, as a private investigator to follow Gavin's wife, Madeline, who is behaving strangely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I will say Rotten Tomatoes gives this a 94%. It is certified fresh. Yeah. According to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I certainly loved it uh, when I saw it as a child. Uh, I remember seeing it as a, a small child with my parents. and. Really? I remember the uh, the ghost story aspect was much stronger. Like that stuck with me. I guess I thought of it as kind of a spooky possession story. Okay. Um, and then later on, you know, it it transitioned into a ghastly murder plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because when I picked this podcast, it was largely from that initial impression of this being kind of a spooky, horrific story. Uh, however, when I saw it as an adult. Most recently, this afternoon with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I never really felt the ghost story aspect. I never really felt like it was a credible piece. Uh, if anything, I think the conflict was really around Madeline's sanity. Yes. You know? Yeah. Is she crazy or is she not? Is there something behind this or not? But I never really felt like the occult or anything spooky was really no. presented in a serious way. For an adult to watch. No, no, no. That was all part of the, the scheme, really, yeah, the plot. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, what about you? When did you first see it? That's a good question. Um, I feel like I probably first saw it or first saw it and made note of it maybe in high school. I went through a big Hitchcock phase in mm-hmm. high school. I had a, and I had seen some Hitchcock here and there younger than high school, but didn't really have an affinity for it until I think it was a ninth grade English teacher showed us the birds in class. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, wait, I got to see more of this guy's stuff. Like, I yeah. really, I'm into this. So I uh, got into Hitchcock then. And so not not nearly as young as you. I'm yeah. Seeing it and taking note of it. So I knew that it was more of a, I would call it a suspense thriller. I mm-hmm. mean, it's really... You know, it has to do with deceit and mm-hmm. manipulation and obsession oh, yeah. more so than there's a, a ghost element mm-hmm. to it. Obviously, there's not actually a ghost. Right. We're led to believe that kind of in the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, and there are some ghost-ish elements happening, but I, I mm-hmm. think that's more of, you know, the workings of Jimmy Stewart, who plays our main character. That's the workings of his mind. Right. He's really the one that's losing his mind, even though we're kind of led to believe early on that Madeline mm. is the one who's, right. who's losing it. You know, it's funny. Uh, we don't really, we haven't talked about this yet, but that whole scene where she goes into that uh, apartment that she'd been renting. Right. And then just disappears. And yes. the lady never even saw her. Did they ever really explain that? No, that's actually, I have that in my notes to bring up oh, later. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. So we can, we can dig, dig into it no, now no, no, if you no, want. We'll, say, we'll, we'll it save it for later. We'll save it for later. Yeah. But I know you and I watched this again, probably when we first got married. Yeah. And, and I remember then uh, us saying like, wow, this is a lot more depressing then we remember it being <laughs> right, right, yeah. Because the end, you know, is just ends on such a downer. Yeah. Again, we're dealing with a movie that does deal with 
suicide. So yeah. if that's an issue, you know, a trigger, mm-hmm. you, you need to know that going in watching that there is a suicide oh, yeah. element in this movie. It's interesting that we've picked two movies out of the last three that are, are dealing kind of with that yeah. issue. So, but yeah, what did you, uh, what were your overall thoughts of watching it today though? Oh. With our, today was different though. Cause we got to watch it with our two oldest children. Yes. Yes. So we're actually at a point where our two oldest kids could watch it. Um, so it's nothing. Yes. There are some, Darker things they're dealing with there, but it was nothing that a 15 year old and a 13 year old, yeah. you know, they're not exposed handle. to in the news. Each day. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, no, I still enjoyed it. It's mm-hmm. it's a masterpiece. I mean, literally, you can pull up any critics list of film mm-hmm. anywhere, and Vertigo's always going to be in the top 10 or 20. Yeah, it's yeah. even been ranked. It's it's outranked Citizen Kane as being the greatest film of all time on multiple. Yeah, you know, lists. Mm-hmm. So that's. That's kind of a big deal. And it really, it it holds up to that. You watch it and you realize, and when you know, like this came out in 1958, there were things done in this movie and there's a little bit of argumentation out there about, you know, did Hitchcock really do this first or was there a little bit of somebody else doing this before him? It doesn't matter now because we're Mm. in 2021 and Hitchcock's name is all over this. There are film techniques used here that are his like they didn't exist until he and his crew made it happen. And people have like Spielberg has used Mm -hmm. the heck out of a lot of Hitchcock's little tropes and, uh, filming decisions and whatnot. So, so it's, it's just huge to know, like this kind of opened the floodgates to so many innovations in the film world. Right. You know, even though it's considered one of the best films ever made now, uh, at the time it was a pretty big disappointment. So yeah, I didn't realize that. I saw it made $7.3 million on a $2.5 million budget. And you have to understand, though, for Alfred Hitchcock, who was a big deal at the time. Right, right. And Jimmy Stewart, obviously, was already a legend in Hollywood. Exactly. There were high expectations, and it this one underperformed. So I've seen various articles where Hitchcock was trying to explain the the demise of the movie, you know, the the disappointment that it was, and... There were a couple of explanations he gave. One that he felt was that he felt that Kim Novak was miscast. Oh, sure. And, well, he uh, didn't want to go with her in the beginning. He had his eye on, uh, what's her name, Vera... Miles? Yeah, Vera mm-hmm. Miles. Yeah, which he would later get her in uh, Psycho. Right, yeah, you mm-hmm. get her as the sister at the end of Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd been working with Vera Miles, but then she got pregnant, and so he had to go with Kim Novak. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad he did go with Kim Novak because I, you know, we'll get to this later, but she she was great. Oh, she's stunning, stunning in this. And then uh, another article where he was talking about he felt like Jimmy Stewart at age 49 appeared too old to be in a believable romance with this beautiful 24 year old Kim right. Novak. Yeah, in real life, there was a 25 year age gap there. Right. That, that's a little. I mean, when you watch older movies, you kind of come at that knowing that that was more common. But I noticed that today, like, wow, I think even one of our kids mentioned, like, he looks pretty old in this movie. (laughs) We've just recently watched It's a Wonderful Life with them during the Christmas holidays or right after Christmas. Uh So they were, you know, they were even noticing, like, wow, he's he's definitely an older guy in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though. I didn't really notice him looking so old and then until uh, she dies. Mm. And then he looked... I mean, he might, he looked like he aged ten years to me when yeah, he was in that true. kind of uh, what was that like a, a like a mental institution or, or right. somewhere he he was having he was definitely struggling it's after under her death. Care. Yeah, but anyway, just to backtrack for a second, 
when I think of like old Hitchcock movies, what was the first one I saw? Psycho. I remember watching it with my sister and we were home alone, I think. Oh my gracious. (laughs) I was young. We watched Psycho. (gasps) Scared the crap out of me. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And then of course, you know, there was this one, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh yeah. Another Jimmy Stewart Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, And then North by Northwest, which... Was my favorite for the longest time, just because uh-huh. I loved Cary Grant. Yeah. But of course, you know, Rear Window was another one. Yep, that's Jimmy Stewart. There were, there were so many good Hitchcock movies, and I, I too kind of went on a roll with watching them, but that right. first, my introduction was Psycho. <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one to start on. And this one I think oh, was probably, probably the... my second. So really? My impression of Hitchcock as a child was that he's a horror director. Yeah, yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy stuff, for yeah. sure. Yes, um, I do remember reading somewhere. This is the last movie he he has a long run with Jimmy Stewart, but I think this one he mm-hmm. Hitchcock was so bummed about it being kind of a box office flop that this was the last one he did with Jimmy Stewart. Okay, he no longer featured Jimmy Stewart after Vertigo. Hmm. Yeah. So high fives. Uh, you know, my I'll I'll get us started there, babe. The, okay. The, uh, I would say the acting of our two leads is mm. my first high five. And for now, I'll just dive into the first. We'll save Kim Novak for later, but I'll uh, say Jimmy Stewart, who, like we've mentioned, he usually plays beloved characters, you know, kind of these heartwarming figures. You know, he's kind of like a Tom Hanks to me, like uh, a previous generation's Tom Hanks, where you kind of feel like you know this guy just from how he acts in his movies. Right, exactly. He kind of acts in a similar type of role. I think I've actually heard that correlation made that Tom Hanks is this generation's Jimmy Stewart. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, in this movie, though, he really stretches himself. You know, I think like in the beginning, after the accident with the police officer falling to his death, Mm -hmm. uh, Stewart plays a sick, defeated man. Yeah. And he really just wants to have some R&R and try to recover yeah, and detach. he's going to live the retired life, basically, is what he yeah. tells himself. So, I, you know, I think of him as just sort of defeated and, you know, kind of beaten down a little bit. Uh, then obviously he gets this new case, he gets talked into and transitions into sort of a, a puzzled man role. Yeah. Who's intrigued by this mystery that is uh, his buddy's wife, Madeline. Mm-hmm. Or is it Madeline? Madeline, Madeline, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One think of, of uh, Brian Regan. Yeah. <laughs> is it Carolyn or Caroline? <laughs> My name is Brian. <laughs> <laughs> My name is very hard to say. <laughs> but that uh, that intrigue, you know, eventually turns into love. So he right. plays a guy that's kind of in a forbidden love situation. Right. Then after her death, he goes almost catatonic there. He really does. Like he's mute for a good portion of the movie in the middle there. Yeah. You know, it's almost painful to watch, mm-hmm. you know, his interactions because it's like, come on, Jimmy Stewart. It's we know like how he's you a are. shell of a person. I mean, there's really yeah. like he's lost his will to live. He's just functioning. You oh, know? Yeah. And then even when he gets out of the facility and he's back on the, the streets again and then he bumps into Judy... Uh, and starts interacting with her, there's still some painful moments to watch where she's asking him questions mm-hmm. and she's even challenging him. You just want me to be her, her don't you? you? You know, and yeah. you can see it in his face, like, but he's not saying anything a lot. No, but his, his face says everything. Like he's really struggling with, I think with reality, his grasp yeah. on reality. It's what yeah. he's fighting with mm-hmm. mentally, but uh, it really plays out on his face well. He does a great job. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, near the end, you know, it, it devolves into, 
you know, this obsessed kind of control freak role right. where he's dominating this poor girl, Judy. We say poor girl, but I mean, she was a murderer. So. Yeah, she's an accomplice to murder. So <laughs> He was definitely showing just some nastiness and, right. uh, you know, disregarding any of her thoughts and feelings. So, I mean, I did feel... She was a means to an end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a lot of people, I had to think, could pull off that start of the story to the finish to the story. Right. He really had to switch gears kind of multiple times there. Yeah. That's tough. Okay, so my first high five, and it's a big one for me, is the storytelling of this movie. Um, I understand from reading that Alfred Hitchcock may not have been the easiest producer to work with. Um, cause he is nitpicky, but man, it plays out so well in his movies because the storytelling, like no detail has been neglected right. at all. So that's what I love. So it's a, it's a relatively small cast. First uh-huh. of all, we're seeing the same four people in every scene, yeah. you know, and most of the scenes are just Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. and Kim Novak. Um, and then occasionally we see, you know, the, the buddy Gavin, who's, actually a, a wife murderer. And then mm-hmm. we see uh, Jimmy Stewart's good friend from college, Midge. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's just those two actors and they don't have a ton of dialogue. And this is something, uh, you know, I probably come back to in a lot of movies. I love it when a movie has limited dialogue and mm-hmm. the story is still so nicely fleshed out. That, oh, yeah. I mean, that just speaks to really the quality of actors and then just the build out of the whole scene and the mm-hmm. plots and the filming everything is there nothing was missed to the whole point about there being a limited dialogue mm-hmm. kim novak's character either one of her characters uh-huh. do you realize she doesn't even have a spoken line until one third of the movie in yeah like th- there's no words from her and right. yet we know exactly what's going on we're still understanding that you know as every minute passes, Jimmy Stewart's character is more and more taken with her, and she's mm-hmm. becoming this like big, mysterious enigma in his mind. Right. And she doesn't say a word for a third of the movie. I mean, yeah. It's just brilliant. If this movie were done today, right? what actress could pull something like that off? Because, oh. you know, I just feel like today we go for somebody who's hot. You know, we go... Sure. And Kim Novak obviously was an attractive oh, yeah. woman. Beautiful. I don't know. There's just such a sophisticated allure mm-hmm. to her mm-hmm. that I don't think a lot of people could pull off. So yeah, that's that's a tough... And maybe we're shortchanging call. somebody. If you can think of somebody, let us yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> let us know. Write us. Let us know. Who are we missing out on in 2021 that could yeah. pull this role off? Yeah. Um, the other part of the storytelling, you're never lost. Like, I think I, my one of my big complaints about the last movie that I reviewed with you was, uh, what was the house movie? You really, like, they kind of just throw a bunch of random information at you in that movie, and you have to yeah. put together the story yourself. Right. It's It unfolds so beautifully. Like, you're fed just what you need to know. It's not too much. You're not yeah. inundated with information, and it's not kind of like letting the cat out of the bag early or anything, mm-hmm. but it's just enough that you're... You're picking up what Hitchcock is putting down just as it rolls along, which is just great. I love the lighting, the color usage in this movie. Like Mm -hmm. all of it goes back to the storytelling. He has these weird tricks that you don't even know that he's doing them to you, that Hitchcock is doing these things to you until later. And you you go back and look with a critical eye at the movie. Like the first time we see Kim Novak's character in that Mm -hmm. restaurant, um, the lighting changes like that very first glimpse mm-hmm. that Jimmy Stewart's character gets of her. All of a sudden, all the light around her is super bright. It's almost yeah. like he's zoomed in on her with a spotlight. Oh yeah. But it's not overdone. It's not like a, 
a Dreamweaver uh, Wayne's yeah, World yeah. moment. Yeah, it's like it's not like the heavens are opening up and you're like, oh, here she is. It's totally subtle, yeah, but just enough to kind of make that moment pop, and mm-hmm. you don't even realize it's happening to you. And then, of course, his use of color is just brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, there's always kind of an attachment of a character to mm-hmm. a color in this. So we see Jimmy Stewart is using, he's almost always identified with the color red. Right. And then Madeline slash Judy is always identified with the color green. Mm-hmm. And there's like, we could literally sit here and talk like for an hour yeah. about how that plays off each other in the movie and mm-hmm. how at times when he's starting to fall for her, like he starts wearing a green sweater, he offers her a red bathrobe because that's his color. Right. You know, it's just, it's so consistent all the way through the story. Yeah. That it just boggles my mind. He must have been a genius. I mean, yeah, cause he just, must have been. <laughs> I, and I, I do. I, I mean, my nerd heart just laps it up when right. somebody pays attention to every detail like yeah. this. Like, I really love that. So huge high five to, I don't know, storytelling is what I'm wrapping this package in. But mm-hmm. it's the whole package of the dialogue, the lighting, or the lack of dialogue. Yeah. You know, the color usage, all mm-hmm. of that. It's just brilliant. Yeah, that, I mean, that was my second high five, the use of color. You know, I kept seeing green, right? And mm-hmm. our son yeah. even remarked that, you know, when he sees her first in that restaurant, what was it called? Ernie's, I think. Ernie's, yeah. That, of course, she's the she's wearing this eye-popping green. Right. You know, the whole backdrop is against this yeah, red wallpaper. Yeah, there's this deep, rich red wallpaper all through the restaurant. And then again, you know, our son noticed this too, like in the cemetery, when she was looking at the grave of Carlotta, there was like a green filter. Yes, there was. And he, he said, well, what's up with the green screen? And then when we, we saw it again, when Scotty was with Judy uh, in her room, and she's kind of in the dark, but that neon light, neon green, right. is lighting her silhouette, giving her that green glow. So, okay, that's definitely something going on here. Exactly. And then, when she came out of the, the bathroom, when he had begged her to put up her hair, you know, wearing it back with a French twist, she comes out in her gray suit and there was this whole green tint, a green glow about her. It was almost like a fog when she came out of that bathroom, yeah. like a green haze. Yeah. You know, we were like, what, what's up with the green thing? Because I didn't really notice the red for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I just kept noticing the green. Mm-hmm. But then we <laughs> we did a little Googling, a little searching, and there's yeah. this whole video out there. It's about 10 minutes long where the guy goes yeah. through and breaks down the, you know, Scotty is red. And then uh, Midge was, what was she, yellow? Yeah, Midge's color is yellow. Yeah. And then who was blue? Somebody was blue. Um, Maybe the husband? No, he was gray. He's always in grays. I think blue... Anytime that uh, Jimmy Stewart's character was Scotty, mm-hmm. whenever he was having to face real life situations, he was mm-hmm. in a blue suit. Okay. Or they were like, he was sitting some, I think when he was in the mental institution, even like that was kind of a blue cast, a bluish gray cast, because he's having to face like real life. Uh-huh. So anytime it was kind of like normal reality type stuff it was this mm-hmm. blues and grays and then the husband madeline's husband murderous husband he's yeah. he's gray a little shady and he forces madeline to wear gray right right but, but when she's you know choosing her own things or whenever it's her mm-hmm. and scotty together yeah. the, then the green which yeah. also comes along with you know the whole obsession thing he becomes obsessed with her and green yeah. is usually tied to it's kind of like an envious color you know right no green that makes envy. sense 
And I wondered about that too. Mm-hmm. Was he an F. Scott Fitzgerald fan? You know, there's this whole red green thing. Oh. In um, not the Great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. That's in what the I'm Great thinking Gatsby. of. Yeah, okay. Great Gatsby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the lights at the end of the dock. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if that played into that at all. If, hmm. if this is a common color usage and across the board for writers and producers and whatnot, but yeah. um, maybe Hitchcock was a. And F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, I wonder what what the origin of that was. Yeah, green could be envy. It could also mean green light, go. Yeah. Like, this is good, and then red is bad. True. So if it's told from the perspective of uh, Scotty, you know, red, he doesn't want all that fear and... You know the conflict that he had, and he he wants the ideal woman. Right, he wants the ideal right. life. This he wants to hit the gas pedal. Right, green go. Madeline slash Judy. Right. <laughs> so do you have another high five? Oh, I do have another high five. Uh, my second okay. high five are just the innovations of the camera techniques used in this movie. Oh yeah, um, and I mentioned that a little bit earlier. That whole, I mean, the movie is called Vertigo, so we're mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, there is a real issue with Scotty in this movie where he has developed vertigo because of the incident that happened early at the very opening scene in the movie. He's a police officer, a detective. He's in a, in a chase across rooftops in San Francisco and Mm -hmm. he takes a wrong step and slips and is literally hanging on by his fingers to a a gutter. Yeah. And another officer tries to come and say, give me your hand, give me your hand. And the other officer falls to his demise. And so that starts this whole process of, Basically, Scotty, Jimmy Stewart's character, having to retire because he he has such debilitating acrophobia and vertigo now. Um, So, of course, Hitchcock has to figure out how are we going to film this. And from what I've read, he tried to do this with the movie Rebecca, which is an old Mm -hmm. favorite of mine. Um, but he didn't, that was like 1940 and he didn't really have the technological capabilities at that point in time. So he finally, with his camera unit, he figured this stuff out Mm -hmm. in time to make this happen with vertigo. Cause you want to invoke that feeling of like, you're kind of slipping, you're losing your grip. You're going to fall. Things are kind of spiraling out of control. And so he literally invented the whole vertigo and I'm using air quotes for everybody that can't see me. (laughs) The vertigo camera trick, or the what they call the vertigo effect, it's also been called the dolly cam or the dolly zoom. The contra yeah. zoom has all these, you know. And I'm not a camera mm-hmm. nerd. I don't, I don't know all these well, things. So I always thought of it as the Jaws effect. When the chief is on the beach, right? He, you know, his kids are out in the water. Yes. And and there's that fear of mm-hmm. oh no, a shark is here now. Like there's been a sighting, and my kids are in the water. Right. And so they do that, like back up the camera and zoom in. Right. So the, the lens is zooming in, but the camera dolly is actually backing up. Or yeah. sometimes they do that in reverse too, where the lens is zooming out, but the camera dolly's going forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that all Spielberg actually used that in a lot of movies. He used it in okay. Jaws. He used it in ET. Um, I can't even think. I saw a very long list of Spielberg mm-hmm. movies that took that technique that. and and ran with it. So that's just huge right. that this kind of came right from. This movie. He also, to tie in with that vertigo effect, we see a lot of Jimmy Stewart's character driving in a car mm-hmm. through San Francisco. We know, even though I've never even been to San Francisco, from every movie I've ever seen, I know that San Francisco is a very hilly place. Oh, yeah. We never see Jimmy Stewart driving uphill. He's always driving downhill to kind of add to that. Jimmy Stewart's always feeling like he's falling, maybe out of control, you know, mm-hmm. like he's, he's always going downhill, just like vertigo. It's kind of always making you feel dizzy enough to fall. Yeah. And the point of view shots 
that Hitchcock uses in this movie are Mm -hmm. pretty innovative for the time. That was kind of a new thing where you, Jimmy Stewart's driving the car and you're seeing, you know, the audience is seeing from Jimmy Stewart's point of view. Okay. Um, So it's just, there's just so much innovation. It's used all the time now. I didn't even think about it. Exactly. You you don't pick up on it because we're Mm -hmm. used to seeing that so much in a modern movie. Right. Um, But apparently that was very new to its time. Yeah. The whole downhill thing, I never would have, picked up on that i never would have noticed it but you know that goes back to that whole genius you know like yeah he had an eye for detail kim novak talks about this too with her hair and makeup right her outfit looked he was so specific on how everything had to be right and he had detail like a one stray hair would be in a direction that it shouldn't be yeah he would stop you know and complain about it and get it fixed uh he was that meticulous about the details and just, you know, I just can't imagine all these things going on at the same time. How do you his, keep track of all of that? I, yeah. I don't even know. But yeah, I'm sure he was a booger to work with. <laughs> yeah. so. Like, yeah. man, what a tough guy. But but look what he's created, uh, you know. Right. I guess that my grandmother used to always say it hurts to be beautiful. I guess maybe it hurts to create masterpieces, too. I yeah. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I read somewhere that Kim Novak even came... He had already, he and the costume director had already picked out her gray suit and the mm-hmm. pumps, the shoes she was going to wear before she ever came onto the set. And when she came on, she was like, ugh, I don't like any of these. They're too restrictive. Yeah. They're pinchy and tight and itchy or whatever. And she tried to, you know, tangle with him and say, no, 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 no. Let, why? Mm. And she thought, really, why does he even care? Right. But he had his methods. Like he wanted her to feel that buttoned up, kind of constricted, yeah. because that's how. Madeline's life was being controlled by this murderous right. husband, you know. Like he wanted her at a certain level of discomfort. Yeah, and it had to be a gray suit. He had his reasons for the right. coloring. Right, the colors. Yeah, and you know, I doubt he was the kind that felt like he had to explain himself to everybody on the set, too. No, he probably did not. He's right. like, nope, this is what I said we're doing, and we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, geniuses don't tend to pull people aside and let them have right. insight into their mind. You know, no, no, they think about everything but that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine. Uh, so yeah, we can transition to low points okay. now. And this one was a kind of a tough one because there are so many things that are done so well. You know, I'll go ahead and get us going. But as far as low points, I really just have questions. Really? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I literally wrote the same thing on my page. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even, uh, we we didn't have even not prepare together. This. Basically, this is more of a creative question than a low point. Revealing the murder three quarters of the way through the movie. Oh, right. I'd forgotten they had done that. And so when we were watching with our kids, mm-hmm. he had just met Judy. She'd agreed to have a dinner with him that night in one hour. And she kind of looks off into the distance and then has a recollection of what happened the day of the murder, what we thought was a suicide. Right. And it shows her running up the steps into the tower uh, and the husband being there and throwing the real wife right off the, the tower and her remembering that. And so that was like three quarters of the way in. And you're like, holy crap. That's like... She gave it all away. You just gave well, it all away. Well, she even sits down and like writes a letter, right? Yeah. She starts to write a letter explaining things to him. Yeah. Like uh, basically you were just a pawn in this little game to murder this guy's wife. Right. But then she tears up the note and then they keep going. So we're yeah. all in on it. Everybody in this movie's in on it except right. for Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And I understand why. I, I just after a little bit of research, you know, we found that Hitchcock toyed with pulling this out. And he did a take where he pulled out that right. whole scene remembering back and just letting him figure out at the very end but then he didn't want scotty to look like he was this nasty control freak bullying judy 
into becoming Madeline because then it wouldn't have made sense. Like, why is Judy hanging out with this creep? Right. Why did she stick around? Yeah. Why would she be with this guy? So, uh, so I understand why they did it, but I would just say creatively, you know, what if they had reshot it in a way where Scotty uh, was maybe more manipulative of Madeline and r- less control freak and bullying, some way that you would be able to understand like why Judy would be sucked in yeah. to his manipulation and then do the big reveal at the end. Hmm. Uh, but I you think know, it definitely would have had more of a sleeping with the enemy vibe then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, so that's more of a question than a low point. I think it, our kids almost missed it. You know, it happened so quickly. Where right. They, they tell you the ending of the movie three quarters of the way through, and you're like, Wait, wait, oh, wait. what? <laughs> They're like, What? What just happened? What is that? We um, actually had to pause it and kind of explain it yeah. to our daughter. Like, <laughs> you're, you're tracking right now, right? She was a little <laughs> off, but she caught up quickly. Yes, she did. Yes, yeah. So I, I kind of felt like, I agree with you, it's weird to have that big tell, just, mm-hmm. you know, when you still got a quarter of the movie to go. But I I do think we needed that to to commiserate with Madeline slash Judy, or at mm-hmm. this point, she's just Judy in the yeah. movie, but he wants her to be Madeline. Um, yeah, because why? why? This guy walks up to your apartment and starts mm-hmm. just treating you like garbage like he owned you you know why would you stick around for this but it's for us to understand like at some point in the con game she actually does start falling in love with scotty jimmy stewart's character so that's why she's willing to put up with his kind of like madness and obsession at this point yeah i think she felt probably a different way to do it yeah she definitely felt for him but also there had to be some guilt like she's oh, seen, sure, yeah. Because she never really saw she's the aftermath. She's complicit in a murder. <laughs> yeah. She never really saw the aftermath of what happened to him after the suicide, in air quotes. Right. You know, the other creative question I would have <laughs> is the somewhat confusing ending. You know, when I saw this as a kid, I always interpreted Judy jumping out as like that big shadow that was coming up the steps to be like the ghost of Madeline. Right. Should we set this up for listeners? Do you think everybody's watched this? Like basically at this point, Jimmy Stewart's character, Scotty has figured out like, Oh, this, this lady doesn't just look like Madeline. He was actually playing Madeline to help this guy cover up his wife's murder. Right. He puts it all together because she has a piece of jewelry that was a big part of the whole uh, setup. Yeah, exactly. The original setup. Exactly. So he he's basically going to one up her now and and get her to confess to everything. So he takes her back to the the mission in that's south of San Francisco somewhere, mm-hmm. where the quote unquote wife had committed suicide, right. and kind of walk her back through that whole event and make her confess. Yeah. So they get up into this tower mm-hmm. at the mission, and he's kind of like forcing a confession out of her. He's yelling, he's upset. Yeah. She's kind of yelling back and, and kind of trying to convince herself and to convince him really mm-hmm. that it's okay now. Like I'll stay with you and you'll stay with me. And, right. And, we and can make this work. Yeah. We can make this work. I just want to be with you. And then you do get this weird shadowy figure and they coming kiss. up the steps. Oh, they, they do kiss. kiss. Yeah. And so she's looking down this hallway and up comes the shadowy figure. Yeah. But it's clearly a nun in, in a nun's habit. 
yeah. coming up. But if you were watching this as a kid and you're not from a Catholic family, yeah, like you probably and, and did. modern nuns don't dress like that either, right? I mean, uh, no, there's nuns that still dress like that. Are there? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think <laughs> I don't know. I'm not Catholic. Catholic listeners, <laughs> enlighten us. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Um, but, but yeah, so she she did have kind of a ghostly appearance, and she's coming right. up the stairwell out of the dark. Yeah. So there's some. Some consternation there, right? Right. Does the, she get spooked by the nun? Yeah. And just fall out the window? I think it's confusing. Like, yeah, does she just jump? Like, you know, I'm kissing my man here, and I'm trying to convince him not to turn me into the authorities. Right. So we could live happily ever after. Now I see a scary nun, and I'm going to jump out the window. <laughs> it just seemed like... a little dumb. Yeah, like, the, I, wasn't, I wasn't following that line of thinking. And then, did she stumble? You know, I saw those right. theories about there, like she just got scared and ah. But it, when I watched the movie, it, it seemed like she deliberately was going in that direction. Yeah, well, it's a pretty deep window. Like yeah. this tower is like that. Um, I don't know, southwest looking. It's like made out of like terracotta or something. Right. You know, it's like a deep set window. It's not like you just accidentally fall out of it. You have to mm-hmm. like step into it. You know. Yeah. So I don't know. I always took it as like this was her penance. Mm-hmm. I mean, because obviously the nun is representing the church and and God, and and she judgment. knows judgment. Yeah, and she knows that she is guilty by association and by assistance to this other woman's murder. Right. Um, she, I think, really all that pleading she was doing with Jimmy Stewart was. Not just him, her trying to convince him, but her trying to convince herself. Like, mm-hmm. it's all going to be okay. We're going to make this work. We're going to make this work. And then right. it was just too much. Like, the the out was too easy. Yeah. You know, it was right there. And uh, the, the nun showing up was like, you're right. I'm guilty. This will never be okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just going to take the easy way out here, basically, was yeah. her, her option. That's how I saw it. But there, there are a lot of questions. I mean, it could be... Yeah. Read I, several ways. I guess I was just, yeah, it, it was just confusing to end the movie on such a confusing note because, man, she jumps and then the nun says a quick prayer and then boom, roll credits. Yeah. She rings the bell for authorities yeah. to come or whatever and then boom, it's over. Yeah. So it was like, oh, wow. You know, I thought if that movie was made today, he wouldn't have gone there immediately. He would have somehow contacted the authorities. They would have been waiting in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, he had a backup plan. Yeah, and then when she uh, confessed, some cop would emerge and put right. handcuffs on her. And if this was a modern right procedural <laughs> cop yeah. procedural, yes, that's true. That's true. That's probably how that would have panned out. Neither of those are low points. They were just observations that, like, I just wonder. Hmm, you know, was that the best choice? Right. Again, that's me questioning, you know, the genius Hitchcock. So I don't know if that's a really. <laughs> do we have a right to do that? Yeah. Do I have a right? Does anybody really care? I don't know. It's fun to think about. So yeah. I literally, without consulting you on this, I have on my paper that I don't really have lows. I just have questions. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are the questions? So my first question was, and you brought this up way earlier in this podcast, was, was the hotel keeper in on the plan? Oh, because yeah. when he first starts tailing the air quotes again, the wife, Madeline, mm-hmm. he uh, follows her to this little hotel and sees her go. He sees her park her car outside, go inside, go upstairs and open a window or yeah. like open a, a shade or a blind or something. Yeah. And so he follows her in and talks to the clerk at the, at the desk. Mm-hmm. You're freaking me out. What was that? That was the cat door. Oh, the cat door. <laughs> I'm like, I heard a weird noise and you're making a weird face at me. So I'm like, building. ah, <laughs> 
can't watch spooky movies and hear weird noises during the podcast. <laughs> oh, train right. of thought. Come back. Where were we? Yes. Okay, so he goes in and he starts talking to the lady who owns or runs the hotel. She's at the front desk and he's like, who's upstairs? Can you take me up to see her? And she's like, well, she's not here today. What are you talking about? And he's like, she is here. I watched her go into that room and open the shade. Yeah. And she's like, no, really, I haven't seen her at all today. And she's like, look, her key is even still on the hook here. Yeah. She can't be here. And sure enough, like he convinces her because he still has like his police badge or something, identification right. as well. He's like, look, I'm with the authorities. You need to go upstairs and let me see this room. Yeah. So the old lady goes up the stairs and sure enough, she, Madeline is not there. Yeah. We, and we never know, got an explanation. Like, where where did she go? <laughs> yeah. We know how these old houses work. Like, you right. don't move without everybody else in the house knowing it. Exactly. Especially Floors creak, walls are thin. Going upstairs, being directly above where the lady was working. Right, right. There's no way she wouldn't have been in on it unless she, they knew that she was out of the office for a few moments or took a break at a yeah. certain time. Maybe she has a, key, a second key made and she slipped past her. I mean, maybe, and maybe would, that's yeah. it. Maybe the husband had had an extra key made, you yeah. know, the murderous husband. Yeah, maybe. I think more that she was either paid off, you know, just do this job because he paid off the other lady. So why not right. pay this lady off too? Right. Okay, so I have two more questions basically as my low points. The second question is, when he rescues Madeline, who he thinks is Madeline, from falling into the bay under yeah. the... Is that under the Golden Gate Bridge? Whatever yeah. bridge is right there. Yeah. Um, and brings her back to his apartment. She's clearly, like, all of her clothes have been removed because they're drying in his kitchen. And mm-hmm. he, she is in his bed under the covers. And mm-hmm. he has to offer her... You know, we don't ever see anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming he undressed her to prevent hypothermia. Like, I guess so. Why, why was that never addressed? Like, that's a pretty creepo that's, factor right there. Yeah. Like, I thought maybe they would have had Midge Yeah, over. that's what I was... I was waiting for Midge, his, friend, his female friend, to show up and be like, let me help you with this half-drowned, yeah. wet, cold person. But... Yeah, the Good Samaritan Midge Act. Midge was never there. It only works, right? If you're not undressing a beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and tucking her into your bed. Yeah, and then sitting like, by the fire and waiting for her to wake up. There was <laughs> some weird creepo vibes. That is, that is weird. Uh, my other question is: there are several times, or not several times, one in particular where Jimmy Stewart, after um, Madeline commits suicide, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing air quotes that no one can see again. Uh, fake Madeline commits suicide or so we think she does. And there's like a, a tribunal or a hearing of some sort yeah. to determine who's at fault or if this woman actually took her life. Right. You know, Jimmy Stewart's there and the husband is there. And then this like, I don't know, jury or something. It yeah. looks like they're still at the mission. It's weird. It's not like in a court setting. Yeah, it was weird. I wasn't familiar with that. It's but they really, yeah, I don't was know. Was it arbitration or was it a formal court? I, I don't know what was going on. So that's a question of it, of itself. Yeah. But they also like painted a pretty not nice picture of Jimmy Stewart's character. Basically, 
he's got these issues, so mm-hmm. he couldn't go up the stairs and save her because of his vertigo. And mm-hmm. because his vertigo is so bad, it caused the death of another police officer. That's why yeah. he's retired and can't even work anymore. Yeah. And then when you read a lot of the write-ups online that give like a synopsis or a story summary, uh-huh. they always talk about the incident at the beginning as if it were Jimmy Stewart's fault. He caused, I mean, the wording is always caused the death of a fellow officer. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not, that's not fair. He didn't yeah. cause it. The other officer came to assist him. He slipped. Yeah. And he was hanging by his fingernails from a gutter. Right. What and are you going to do? A one arm pull up so you can reach your hand up and have the officer grab your other hand? Yeah. No. And they're on like tile roofs yeah. in, in San Francisco. I'm like, he didn't cause, I mean, why am I getting offended for poor Jimmy Stewart? I don't know, <laughs> but it annoys me. Like, yeah. why are we painting him as this guy who caused the death of another police officer when the other guy... He didn't have to come and lean over a roof to try and yeah. help Jimmy Stewart up. He clearly wasn't using good judgment, no. you know, and how he, like, he was leaned approaching. leaned over too far and fell off the roof. <laughs> I don't know why Jimmy Stewart is being painted with these strokes yeah. of like, you caused this guy's death. I know. And speaking of questions, how did Jimmy Stewart get off that rooftop? Did That's he actually true. do a we pull up? Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you're some sort of CrossFit nut or something, you know, like it's hard to do a pull up if yeah. you're an average human. Exactly. And he's holding on to a bending metal gutter. Yeah. So and he's looking down, having his, you know, introduction of his vertigo, uh, attack. vertigo attack. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, not really low points. You just kind of have to have this suspension of disbelief working oh, yeah. for you for parts of it. Oh, yeah. You know, we talked about, obviously, Jimmy Stewart. We've talked a little bit about Kim Novak. But I did want to point out, she basically plays two different parts in this movie. That's true. And very different. You know, the uh, as Madeline or Madeline, she plays a very sophisticated, but kind of a tortured, complicated character. Right. She does really well with that. And she, even her accent is very posh. You know, I guess it's not an official accent, but right. she speaks very differently uh, as Madeline than she does later on as Judy, That's which is true. a more blue collar kind of character, more right. of a street smart yes, uh, for sure. vibe about her. So even the way she talks, the way she communicates, her body language is clearly different. So I, I felt like she did a great job, you know, doing this dual role. Absolutely. And one other character we'll mention is character Midge, played mm-hmm. by Barbara Bel Geddes. She's the friend that, you know, who was formerly engaged to him. And they mentioned early on that, you know, it was Midge that actually broke off the engagement. Right. But you kind of get the vibe that over the years, maybe she's regretted that decision. And, yeah. And he sees her as a buddy. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, I think they're like BFFs. Yeah. But she still still likes him, I think, right? I think yeah. it's pretty... Pretty, Pretty clear, sick. especially when this other woman comes onto the scene. Then it becomes very clear that, you know, Midge is still harboring feelings yeah. for Scotty. And, you know, I know her best as Miss Ellie from Dallas. Yeah. That's something else my uh, sister and I used to watch when we were a little. We've seen every episode of Dallas. Wow. There were a lot of years of Dallas. Yes. And Miss Ellie, you know, every time I hear her voice in this movie, even though she's like, much somewhat younger. young and attractive. Right. I think of her as an old lady, kind of this matron, uh, matronly figure. Right. Because in uh, in Dallas, you know, she's always being very sweet to her daughter-in-laws, sipping a coffee cup, uh, right. chastising Jr. for something wicked he had done to little <laughs> baby brother Bobby. Of course. But uh, yeah, I liked I liked her character. I thought it brought a little bit of balance to Scotty. Right. Exactly. I mean, 
I think it attached him to like real life. Yeah. Because if not, we'd have just had this mentally disturbed guy who's obsessing over a woman who he doesn't even know is dead or alive or who's mm-hmm. who, and and he's kind of slipping out of reality as time even more as time goes on. Right. Whereas Midge brings him some normalcy like yeah he went to college with her they're old friends they had a thing at one time but now they're just buddies trying to make it mm. in the city you know yeah she's uh like a graphic artist right and uh you know and he's having you know kind of forced retirement cop you know if we didn't have her and you see this guy obsess over this one woman you would wonder like is this just what he does right is he just a creep is he just a creep sociopath or something and so i think it was good to show here's this other attractive woman that he's friends with that he has a perfectly normal life with normal relationship with uh you know one other note i think something that's praiseworthy is the film score uh bernard herman so i didn't really realize this until today when we were (laughs) doing some research and this is, again, my son, you know, he's very astute. There was a scene uh, where there was this mellow music playing, I think mm-hmm. like an oboe and some, you know, maybe a cello in combination. And he says, this reminds me of Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> and I was like, you know that name, Bernard Herman? I seem like I've seen this name in other movies. Like, And, and sure enough, you know, I'm a big Ray Harryhausen fan. He had done D- Jason and the Argonauts, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and then, of course, he done all these classic uh, Hitchcock movies that I named before. North by Northwest, Psycho, right. The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Birds. He even did a lot of music, I think, for Hitchcock's uh, The Hitchcock Hour that used to come on TV, like the regular okay. series. I think he did music for those, too. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we'd be remiss without saying he's a Oscar winner. Uh, the Devil and Daniel Webster. And he was nominated for Citizen Kane, Taxi Driver, Anna and the King of Siam. And Brian De Palma's Obsession, and I haven't seen any of those last uh, three movies, I don't think. You know, his pieces are just so fantastic at conveying emotion. You know, when I think of Sinbad and Jason, that whole epic sound, that sense of grandeur, this yes. pomp and circumstance, this, you know, bombastic feeling mm-hmm. of the, from the orchestra, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what he brought. But then also these the sad, lonely pieces, you know, very contemplative moments mm-hmm. of the movie. He he nails that too. So, I mean... He's good at dynamics. Yeah, he's so good at dynamics. It's just funny because there's this man that's been part of my life with his music and I right. never knew he was responsible for all these pieces. Yeah, you know, I read a critique of this movie in particular as a film score from him. He was not able to conduct this film score. He wrote it all, uh-huh. but he was not able to be the conductor. And so um, several people who, I guess, follow these things and critique these things have mentioned that this has less of the Herman touch to it because he didn't oh. actually conduct it. Because I guess he always, he added some of his own flair if he was okay. actually conducting the orchestra that's performing the piece. Where in this one... He wrote it, but he wasn't able to conduct it. And they kind of mentioned that it, oh. it was missing some of the personal effects you would normally get in a movie okay. piece in some of those other movies. Time for final summations. So what say ye, yay or nay? Well, it's a definite yay for me. I mean, there's a reason why this is considered a classic, and by many critics, it's considered one of the greatest films of all time. I even read that in 1989, when the Library of Congress was starting to decide what movies they were going to catalog for preservation, Mm -hmm. it ranked in those very first 25 movies 
that the Library of Congress decided to pull wow. from the American canon of movies to start mm-hmm. preserving. And so it was right in there. It was one of the first 25 films. So I think that speaks to its longevity and just the classic nature of the film. And I think there's just such an element of truth here. Um, yes, we're dealing with a conniving, murderous husband mm-hmm. and a, you know, a, I'd say maybe a young girl who's down on her luck and gets wrapped into this scheme just to make a buck, basically, and then falls mm-hmm. for the guy. Uh, but there's so much um, that I think resonates with the average human in this story is what makes it just people attach to it and it lasts for this long. And that's really like what happens to an unanchored man. Yeah. You know, and not just man as in men. I mean, this is true for women too, but he really, like you mentioned this earlier, he's lost his job because of this accident. And Mm -hmm. now he has this debilitating vertigo and acrophobia. Um, and he's really, he's unraveling as a person because he know, I I would imagine his job was kind of his identity. I mean, a, Mm -hmm. a lot of us fall into that, right? Yeah. Um, where the, everything he was was probably wrapped up in being this police detective. Right. That's been stripped away from him. And he, he makes light of it early in the movie when he's with his buddy Midge and they're chatting Mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh, I'm just gonna, I don't know. I'm gonna do whatever kind of like live the retired life. But we see quickly, like someone's offered him the next job. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know that he's being con and he attaches to it very quickly, especially when it involves this gorgeous, Mm -hmm. mysterious enigma of a woman. Yeah. And it really, um, it really dives deep into that whole, like when, when a human is detached and unanchored and they don't know basically who they are anymore, yeah. you can be duped so easily. Right. You know, and, and, and it really was, starts to unravel your mind. Yeah. He was targeted too. And yeah. that's what's, so, I mean, he wasn't just open to it. They were pr- uh, praying on him. They of were that. praying on him. Absolutely. Like the, the guy, Gavin, the bad guy even says, you know, he'd seen in the paper that he had to retire because yeah. of the unfortunate incident where you fell and you have this vertigo thing now. Tell yeah. me about your vertigo. So he yeah. knew like Gavin, who knows how long Gavin been planning to murder his wife. Mm-hmm. And we still don't even, there's another question for us. We don't know why he wanted to off his wife. Probably yeah. money. That's usually how these things work. Yeah. Right. But yeah, they totally like he saw an opportunity and went for it big right. time and it really unanchored and and yeah. almost destroyed well we don't know did it destroy jimmy stewart's character because we don't it ends so abruptly you're really left like well what's gonna happen to this guy because he yeah. was already unhinged you yeah know? he's untethered yeah he was definitely twisted at the end i mm-hmm. mean so i wouldn't say we've seen this is a story of a good man going bad but it definitely was headed in that direction i like the unraveled uh unanchored analogy you have because uh yeah i mean you know so much of a 1958 you know man's identity is his job right especially a man who is single you know no kids that job was everything and then to be blamed so harshly for the accidental death i guess right of this fellow police comrade and there's a brotherhood with police officers sure, right? yeah and that had to affect him and then obviously the way he was treated in that court kind of setting or arbitration yeah. or whatever that was they were just taking shot after shot about it, basically indicating he's a weak human. Right. I mean, he was virtually scoffed at. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the person that died wasn't just a work buddy this time. This was somebody he would truly loved. Right. And now, you know, they are 
not blaming him legally, but in the room, they're blaming him yeah, for her death. because like, he didn't get up there and stop her. And she tried to commit suicide once before. Right. He, he should have known once better. Before. Yeah. yeah. You see him unravel, like you said. You feel bad for him. Your heart goes out to him. And even near the end, when he is acting like a jerk, kind of a control freak to mm-hmm. Judy, pushing her around, and you just think to yourself, like... Uh, you know, Judy's gorgeous. Like, she's different, but you could move on, you know. Right. You can have a new life. You can transition. Mm-hmm. And he can't let it go. He can't, yeah. And there's a sickness there. There's, there's a, a sickness. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's a, this is an important film, so it's a yay for me. It's uh, incredible. Like I said, it's really hard to find a movie that has so few uh, weak spots. Mm-hmm. So to me, it is an important film, just cinematically. The performances are all spectacular. You know, is it a pick-me-up movie? Is it something <laughs> that uh, you want to, like, a first date movie? Probably Maybe not. not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if I would say, like, if you're struggling, I think with, you know, depression or, you know, your outlook, maybe you're bummed about something. Yeah, maybe you're out of work. Maybe this isn't the movie to watch yeah, right now. <laughs> like, you may want to be sensitive to the movies you pick, you know, lean Absolutely. on the Ace Ventura type movies and maybe a little less... <laughs> A little less Hitchcock. I don't think I don't that's know. the route I would take, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, this movie's great. It's definitely a yay for me. So what are we watching next week? Our next movie is going to be The Omega Man. It's a 1971 Charlton Heston flick. It's a sci-fi horror crossover dealing mm-hmm. with a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. So there's going to be... Probably somewhat zombie types. Yes. In this movie, some, you know, a little bit of violence. It is rated PG for some mild nudity and a little bit of language, from what I understand. And you can find that on HBO Max currently. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's rentable for like $1.99 on yeah. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited to see this one. This will be a fun one. I always like to see Chuck. Yeah, good old Chuck Heston. Um, Yeah, so if you guys get a chance, watch that this week with us. That was in air quotes, too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And go ahead and comment on our social media. Let us know what you thought of it, if you liked it, if you hated it, whatever, any beefs you have with it. And then join us back here next week, and we'll talk about it. Can't wait. Let's do it. All right. All right. Peace out. Peace out, guys.